0: Welcome to the Internet of Assets, the podcast about the not-so-distant future of finance. My name is Ryan King, Senior Project Manager at Dust Network, and every episode, I'll dive into a specific part of finance. We do this in a maximum of 30 minutes. And in this episode, we're joined by one of the members of Dust Network's advisory board, a financial market expert with extensive knowledge in the industry. Please welcome Baz Kortenkopf. Welcome, Baz.
1: Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for having me over. It's a
0: pleasure. Okay. Um, Would you like to give a a short introduction to people on the podcast who maybe not had a chance uh, to to meet you before?
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, I'll I'll try to summarize the 20 years experience that I have. Um, I started uh, after my graduation, uh, early 2000, actually uh, working at the Stock Exchange in, in Amsterdam. So that is the predecessor of uh, Euronext. It was called uh, Amsterdam Stock Exchange at the time. uh, And I was focusing on uh, guiding uh, IPOs, initial public offerings. And uh, that was actually my first uh, 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 introduction to the financial markets. Um, And then I moved on in different roles at different companies throughout the financial industry. So I worked for, amongst others, ING, uh, Morgan Stanley, Uh, in Hong Kong, uh, where you are based actually, Ryan. Uh, And I worked for a a little over 13 years for one of the largest financial market infrastructures called EuroClear. I think we'll touch upon that a little bit later. And then I also worked uh, uh, for a market maker. And uh, today I uh, I actually are building a MTF, a multi-trading facility. uh, And I'm doing that for the AFS Group uh, based in Amsterdam. Um and throughout those uh, years actually I always uh, touched upon uh, new areas in the financial industry uh, uh, I've seen probably uh, quite a lot of the uh, the whole value chain from trading to uh, all the way up to post trading uh, and I think that uh, brought me uh, in the end in contact with uh, one of your founders and uh, well we uh, we took it off from there and uh, here I am today
0: Yeah that's great yeah just before the uh, just before we started we reminisced a little bit about Hong Kong And uh, what an interesting place it is, especially with being such a big finance sector for our industry. But uh, today, what we're going to be discussing is governance in the blockchain market, the the future of tokenization and uh, other such similar things here on the Internet of Assets podcast. But before we get into all of that, let's ask a couple of specific questions to our guest today. Are you ready? Yes, absolutely. Shoot. Okay, great. So, well, you've been in finance, as you just described, for quite a few decades now. Would you be willing to go as far as to say that this is the most exciting time to be in this industry? Uh,
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, I I think it is one of the most uh, uh, energetic times. Most of the uh, uh, developments that we see today, I think, are compromised in only uh, a few years And the financial industry, basically, we refer often to it as a traditional industry, a lot of incumbents, uh, not a lot of innovation, actually, when it comes to the core architecture. And what I have seen is that uh, when I started, at least uh, back in 2000, all the way up to, let's say, 2014, 15, things didn't really move uh uh the, the the architecture was quite okay the infrastructure worked so uh and suddenly you had this this new technology that was slowly but steady uh, uh popping up here and there on some uh, seminars in some conversations and uh, some of the consultants were talking about it and that was actually blockchain uh moving forward now to the to the last let's say 2 3 years uh, I now see real business cases. I, 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 I see uh, uh, real things happening. Uh, big parties are moving the needle, and that for me is a, is a great time to be active and working in this space.
0: Yeah, it takes uh, a while for technology to catch on, doesn't it? And As you said, it's it's often a slow moving industry. Finance it can be very risk averse, very cautious, but slowly getting towards this point. And I like I love the usage of the word energetic because it's such a cliche almost to say such and such is an exciting time of history. It's an exciting time of industry. But energetic really much more describes, I think, what we all feel when we go to the conferences, when we talk about these innovations, about the changes that are coming. I think if we go back to 2000 and probably about 2012, 2013, this may be the point where the single biggest number of people started to really talk about blockchain, listen, hear about blockchain we're talking like from all the people sort of on the street in the industry stuff like that that's when a lot of people really started to become very familiar with this it became normal to see articles about it in the news but how about you as in the financial sector you presumably came across this much earlier when you first came across it what kind of time period was that? And, and what did you think about it at first? What was your first impression?
1: Well, actually, I first, I think, and I have to say, I stumbled upon it. Um, I think it was back in uh, sorry 2009, and it was, as in probably for many people, uh, due to Bitcoin. So it was actually uh, the Bitcoin developments that triggered uh, a certain interest in what is this about? Is it really new? Is this a scam? Uh, What is this underlying technology that uh, more the techies are talking about, that blockchain and the the DLT? So what I did is uh, I tried to just read more about it. And this is usually how you start when you are uh, slowly but steadily getting interested in a a new topic. Um, And by reading more, uh, I got more energetic, more enthusiastic about the topic. Um, But it was still a little bit on the back burner, to be honest. So it didn't really... Uh, trigger any reaction at the company at that time that I was working for. Uh, it was still quite new. Um, uh, it was also because of uh, the reaction that the uh, that some people had in the market about it's more about Bitcoin. Don't look at that. We are safe. What we're doing is just fine. It's stable. Don't change that. But uh, in the back of my mind, I was always uh, uh, trying to look for new things, new type of technology that had the potential, at least, to maybe uh, uh, create some change or or bring some efficiencies or opportunities in the area that I was working in. So I think it was around a little before 2010, eh? let's say 2009, that I first uh, 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 got to know uh, the, the blockchain developments. Right, I stumbled across it. As you mentioned, yes, again, another great right. another great usage of
0: words, stumbled across it. Okay, so about that time, you stumbled across it. So around that time, a little bit later on, you're at a, a big place like Euroclear, for example, a very big player in the industry. What was their feelings about it? How did they react to the coming of blockchain, maybe Bitcoin?
1: Yes, I think in the beginning, yeah, you have to realize those type of companies, especially the financial market infrastructures. So, of course, you have large banks, large custodians, and then you have these these huge CSD players like Clearstream, like Euroclear, like DTCC in the U.S. Um, Their their core business is all about trust, about stability, about not making errors and and doing things in a very uh, stable and predictive way. And you could see, for example, with europe within Euroclear that the first reaction when people were talking about this new technology was uh, and I can't blame them, why fix something that is not broken? The current system works. We have the systems that are very stable, our clients are are not complaining uh, it is fast enough uh, we feel and uh, and uh, it is quite expensive to start changing these things. Uh, there is no clarity about rules and regulations. Um, We do not feel a push from our clients to start moving into that area. Um, And at that time, there was only a very small group of people, I think more driven by personal interest uh, around new tech developments that were slowly but steady trying to uh, get a better understanding of the potential that this technology could bring. Um, And I heard a lot these these sentences, uh, don't fix something that is not broken. Or people are walking around with a medicine looking for a headache. Um, and I do have to say that there is some alternative technology that does the job quite well. Um, but we also do see now, and we can uh, touch upon a little bit later in the podcast, we do see now that uh, some of the asset classes uh, without blockchain are very difficult to access. And some of the processes without blockchain are quite difficult to further improve, Um but you have also have to realize that uh, post-crisis, so post-2008, a lot of these large institutions did not have the money, the budget to start changing this, uh, the existing technology. Uh, even if some of them did want to change, like ING and the previous CEO, Ralph Hamers, really did a great job in saying, we need to put a lot of money and effort in a new technology. A lot of those players said, well, let's first try to, to make some profit again. So there was that combination of new technology. We, we, we're happy. We're fine with the way things go. Our clients are happy. And we still need to, uh, to make some profitable quarters first before we start uh, entering into, let's say, what they sometimes refer to as these new adventures.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, then that's a, that's a really great point as well, is that this isn't, I mean, we can start by making the current ideas, the current concepts, the current financial models more efficient but the really exciting part is what can we do that we couldn't do with the old system, right? Once you right. apply the technology, what of these new innovations, and that leads perfectly into what I wanted to talk about next, which is that you were, you started out in a traditional finance background. How do you see this shift towards DeFi or even what we at call regulated decentralized finance or reg DeFi.
1: Yeah, I I, I did see the, let's say the start of that shift, which was quite interesting. And that actually happened a few years ago. So a few years ago, I saw that there were in the, let's say the DeFi space. So the decentralized uh, finance space, I saw some new players popping up. Very often these were quite innovative startups, scale ups that were really trying to move the needle. They had wanted in the adjacent space of the, uh, of the incumbents uh, try to innovate and, uh, and bring on uh, new solutions using blockchain, using this technology. The challenge that they often had was um, because it was not regulated. Very often there was a lack of clarity for, uh, let's say, all stakeholders in the ecosystem, the investor community or some of the other players in that ecosystem that made it difficult for those, uh, for those other stakeholders to really put their money or assets uh, in that, in, 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 let's say the pipeline or in custody with those DeFi players. Uh but I did see some of some of those companies really pushing the needle. And as a result of that, I saw some of the incumbents, some of the larger players in the financial industry, thinking, hang on, they might be onto something there. Uh, they, this might be interesting, but not completely in the way they are approaching uh, uh this new development because we are missing something, and that basically resulted more in the in the the RE. in in, in DeFi, the the regulated decentralized finance. And this is where some of the larger players were really pushing for one of the things we need in order to start adopting this new technology and go really into useful business cases and create services that uh, are helpful for our clients that they are willing to pay for is trust. We need them to start trusting to put their money or other assets like securities uh, in our custody. Trust can only be created if we, uh, as service uh, offerers, uh, have, let's say, a environment, a regulatory environment that gives us and our potential investors and other stakeholders enough clarity to start uh, doing business with each other. And that was missing. And I think this is where a, a regulated decentralized finance space uh, probably will bring the environment um uh, for this type of technology the blockchain technology dlt to really move forward and have a general adoption by the uh, by the larger uh, investor community as we know it today
0: great wonderful point yeah i think we we do talk a lot about tradfi and defi almost as if they're chalk and cheese and we like to think of one side as being stuffy bankers in suits, uh, never able to take their ties off, and the other guys are in t-shirts and sitting in some uh, on a beanbag chair and creating something really cool. But as you mentioned right there, trust is central and paramount to both sides of this, regardless of the products that are coming out. And that's actually something else that's also very interesting to look at, because we do talk a lot about differences, but what
1: are the similarities do you see between these
0: two sides of the equation?
1: Uh, What I do see is what they have in common and that changed, I think, in a positive way is over the last couple of years, a common purpose. So I do see that in the larger financial institutions, there is a growing number of people and it's embedded in their governance. So it's in the strategy uh, uh, departments, product departments, uh, innovation departments, a growing number of people that are saying we need to do something with this. We cannot only do it alone. Uh, So we can hire bright people but we will work together with these startups. These startups that are actually started very often, uh, not in a regulated environment, but in a non-regulated environment. And I think what these two, let's say previously, I referred to them as silos, are actually doing are building bridges now. They're starting to work together also because of new insights and a realization on both sides that they need each other. So I think that a lot of players in the decentralized finance space uh, a few years ago were not that happy with rules and regulations. and with centralization, actually, very often I had discussions with them. When I was talking about risk or or talking about trust and uh, and then throughout these discussions, we were actually uh, deep diving and very often had these discussions around, but should in the end, shouldn't there be some sort of centralized point where in the end, if things go wrong, data can be found. And that was still the mindset of the incumbents, where these, these newcomers were saying, no, that's not really necessary, but they needed to, let's say, persuade the, uh, the, the existing powers that be that you can still have trust and reduce risk without centralizing all the information. And I think this is where building those bridges, the two, uh, let's say previously, uh, i referred to them as silos, are really working together. And you have seen some wonderful uh, examples now of companies that started in these uh, innovation departments of uh, larger organizations that are now being carved out, being sold even, and start uh, selling their products to uh, external parties. And I think a great example of that is uh, Pictor uh, from ING Group. Okay,
0: very good. Right, let's move on to something a bit different. So, um, time for the unpopular opinion.
1: This is unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. So,
0: let me just go straight down to it. What is an unpopular opinion that you have about DeFi or or Reg DeFi specifically?
1: That is a very nice question, Orion, and I had to think a little bit about that one. Um, It depends on the audience. So it depends on the honest. And I'm making now a big statement, having worked for a very large company, for several very large companies. And what I've seen over the time, and that is probably an unpopular uh, opinion uh, uh, regarding uh, regarding uh, that audience, is that I have seen that the need for regulation is often used as an excuse or exaggerated by some of these large players, these, these market leaders, in order to dictate the speed of innovation and in some uh, examples, even frustrate or delay or block innovation. And I've seen that over and over again in the the space that I think a lot of these new elements in blockchain technology were already proven and could have added value uh, in reality. And still uh, there was a big lobby uh, by some of the larger players to start delaying uh, innovation. And I think um, slowly but steadily, we are past that 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 phase. I'm happy to see that. Um, but I struggled with that personally, to be honest, uh, uh, for a few years.
0: Yeah, that's a very fair point. I think, especially as well, these big players know that when it comes to any form of regulation, but especially when it comes to things like in finance, think how long that process is, right? First, the investigative consultations and maybe the small circle meetings and drafting the white paper, the second draft of the white paper, the review, the back and forth. I mean, you know that by asking for regulation, you're adding years. To the process, aren't you? And it's the same, I suppose, with any technology, but especially in some of the sensitive as finance. So,
1: yes, absolutely. And don't get me wrong, I think there is a, and I will, will touch upon that later, there is a big need for regulation because regulation will bring uh, certain clarity and, and that will bring uh, stability. And in the end, that will push uh, uh, parties and doing business with each other. Um, but I think you need to find the right balance, uh, absolutely. And I think, therefore, uh, initiatives by the European Union. Uh, around the new sandbox environment and regulations around it is something I think uh, the industry uh, should welcome. And uh, and I think it's very important that these large players are uh, playing their role in this, are joining those sandbox environments uh, and inviting some of these startups and scale-ups uh, to uh, cooperate, to collaborate in uh, in pilots and proof of concept. Okay, great. Thank you very much for your unpopular opinion. So moving on,
0: uh so going back to some of the more specific uh, questions about the industry, with, with all the use cases, you've obviously seen a lot of them, positive and negative, I assume on both sides, uh, throughout the years, you've had a look at them. What do you think are the most promising parts of tokenization for the industry?
1: Yes, I think there are uh, a few elements. What I really like about tokenization is that it will uh, open up uh, uh, currently illiquid assets to investors. So you will uh, see and and you already see some great use cases in the market where uh, assets like art or or exclusive cars or or also real estate um, in in some way are uh, being uh, used now as a a liquid asset because of this technology. And those asset classes are uh, suddenly being used as, for example, collateral because they are much more liquid than they were uh, in the past. Um, I think that is a great example of uh, one of the benefits of this technology. Um, I think something else uh, uh, is the fractionalization of uh, of assets, of let's say large assets like real estate. So there was a a great uh, great pilot, uh, I think, in Finland uh, a few years ago, where they actually said we have a big problem like in the rest of Europe. uh, And also in Amsterdam, uh, we do recognize that where starters on the real estate market have almost zero opportunity to buy an apartment because they simply cannot afford that apartment. But what if you fractionalize that uh, one apartment or a block of apartments in smaller tokens, and suddenly one or two of those tokens uh, are being uh, accessible for a starter with a limited budget. And you can imagine that uh, uh, in the near future, uh, if a starter starts earning more money, he could say, I'm not buying a third or fourth token in my own apartment." I'm buying one token in an apartment in San Francisco because I do believe that the upside there is much bigger than in Amsterdam. And then suddenly you see a, a, a market that was previously hard to access for a certain group of potential investors, like a starters, is opening up. And you do see that this new technology are actually doing that because of the fractionalization possibilities it brings. So I'm really excited about, let's say, those two types of topics. Um, When I really look more at the core of my own industry, I do see uh, speed, uh, reduce of risk. Again, also the increase of liquidity as a big plus of of using uh, blockchain technology. Great.
0: Access to to illiquid assets and uh, fractionalization, two big things you'd recommend people keep an eye on. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Okay, great. So, going back to traditional finance players, TradFi players, what benefits do you see that they specifically, as an industry, would gain from adopting DLT, especially if we look at things like CSDs and MTFs?
1: Yeah, let, let me start with, uh, with CSDs. So for the listeners who uh, are not familiar with the abbreviation, hey, CSD stands for Central Securities Depository. So this is actually uh, where, uh, back in the days, Um, when we still had uh, paper securities, uh, they were put in the vault and that vault was actually being managed by a CSD. Now, um, most of the CSDs in Europe uh, have uh, joined forces. So you have these uh, two big groups, basically Euroclear and uh, and Clearstream um, that are big CSDs. You see now that Euronext, one of the largest stock exchanges uh, uh, in Europe, uh, also has created the CSD. Uh, And in the US, of course, you have DTCC, Now, all of those companies, all of those organizations were always looking at the traditional securities. So in their depot, they were uh, uh, actually keeping in custody on behalf of underlying clients. And usually those were the banks and large custodians. They were uh, uh, keeping in custody uh, securities like shares, so equity, bonds, uh, and funds. Um, And basically that was it. Now, you can see that with blockchain technology, these new asset classes that I was just referring to could potentially also be put in a depot of a CSD. So for a CSD, it opens up uh, new markets. It could be a great opportunity to start expanding uh, their uh, their depot. And on the back of that depot, they usually offer a lot of value-added services, like uh, data-related services, uh, collateral services. Uh, So they play as as a financial market infrastructure a key role in, uh, let's say, making the financial markets more fluent. Um, But that is really about the depot. A second thing is the process itself that a CSD facilitates. So the CSDs are facilitating also the settlement cycle of a security. So when when a certain investor buys, uh, another investor sells, then in the end, uh, after trading, you get usually clearing and you get settlement. And this is where you get uh, delivery versus payment, where money and, uh, and securities are uh, changing ownership. Now, blockchain uh, brings really great value in that process. It can decrease the, the time that a settlement cycle will take. Uh, usually, it takes uh, uh, up between one and uh, three days, depending on the country, the type of instrument. And with this new technology of blockchain, you can decrease that to what we call atomic settlement. So you have instant settlement. By doing that, you will decrease the risk. So in case of an event, uh, unfortunately, what happened with 9-11 is that uh, some of the financial markets and some of the players could not access their assets. They could not get rid of those, ex- uh, that, those assets uh, uh, on time because they were still stuck in that settlement cycle. And you can reduce that uh, by uh, dramatically by using blockchain technology. And Another aspect of that is, of course, that that efficiency will also have a positive impact on the costs related to the settlement cycle. It is still about 20% of the total cost of a trade in Europe is related to the post-trade elements. So you can still decrease those costs. And a very good example of that is DTCC in the U.S., They started with a few years ago with a pilot and it was called the Iron Pilot. It was a a very interesting uh, 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 pilot that they did with private companies, so non-listed securities that were previously uh, quite uh, uh, cost inefficient uh, to start offering to investors and to register and to uh, perform certain uh, settlement cycles on. By using blockchain technology, they uh, they dramatically reduced the settlement cycle. It is now almost uh, atomic settlement. Um, and what they also did is the cost around this uh, was uh, reduced as well, with the positive effect that the private markets uh, were suddenly uh, growing because the costs around dealing with these private company shares was decreasing. And I think that is uh, actually uh, something that they announced very recently that uh, they have uh, taken this whole initiative uh, live. And currently, I think it's between 100,000 and 160,000 trades a day uh, are being done on, uh, via the settlement cycle on the back of blockchain. So what they are doing, they are actually uh, have said, look, we are still performing these settlement cycles in our tr- on our traditional systems, our legacy systems. We want to do that. That is the, the basically the golden source of truth. This is where the final uh, uh, settlement will take place. However, in parallel, we are live, uh, uh, also uh, running the same cycles on the back of blockchain. And they have done that so far uh, uh, without hardly any error. And it's still because they're working with technology. So they need to tweak it here and there but you can already see the benefits that this uh, uh, technology brings in all the aspects I just mentioned.
0: Very interesting indeed. Yeah, very interesting. So a lot of benefits there should be a fairly straightforward pitch, to CSDs uh, in theory. I certainly, when you say, I mean, to me, when you say, oh, something that takes one to three days to settle, that just blows my mind. I think when I think about, you know, me just buying something on the street or paying with a card, and then I'm imagining a walk one to three days, right? That's yes. uh, it, it's crazy, isn't it? But there are still places out there where that's a thing. Okay, well, I think we can both agree. Then we've we've seen we've witnessed some really exciting times over the years. Um, it's also very realistic, I think, not controversial to argue that we're probably only just at the beginning. As like you said, it took took a while for this technology to really sort of become more caught on to be people to get caught up with it. Uh, And then to start beginning to experiment with these pilots to wait for regulations to kick in. Where do you think we're going over, say, the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, I think the next couple of years is really about, uh, like you mentioned, regulation. So we're still uh, depending on the country or region across the globe. um, uh, Rules and regulations still need to be uh, discussed, need to be proven in practice. So I think from a a rules and regulation perspective, we will see some, uh, let's say, fine-tuning in in the next few years uh, based on feedback from the market, probably the market uh, wants more clarity in certain elements. Um, I think another uh, big move that we will see is further adoption by the uh, larger players. So you have seen that you have uh, always in any market with any product, the early adopters Uh, And I'm I'm very happy to see that now the larger companies like JP Morgan, uh, BNP Paribas, uh, State Street, BlackRock are uh, endorsing and adopting this technology. Um, They've done it slowly but steady. So they've started with one or two pilots, proof of concept, maybe one or two, uh, let's say, ETFs. And I think they will now start rolling this out uh, over the rest of the instruments. I think another development that we will see in the next few years is um, not so much the transition from the existing securities based on the traditional uh, uh, systems moving to blockchain. Uh, So you will have, let's say, these tokenized securities. I think secondly, we will see basically native securities being created on the blockchain. I think if we will do that at a larger scale, I think that is a very important milestone Uh, uh, for the further adoption of the technology. And I think a third big trend that we will see is probably now uh, the the further integration of blockchain technology in, like I mentioned, the illiquid assets. So I think you will see that there will be uh, potential uh, new value pockets like these illiquid asset classes being created. I think uh, new ecosystems will be built around it. And what will happen is that the existing large custodians, for example, will start offering services around custody of previously illiquid assets. So I think that is a win-win situation for a lot of different players in that, uh, in that, uh, in that area. And I think finally, and this is something I can also be very excited about. I think it will push further democratization of finance. Um, uh, blockchain technology has the potential to, uh, to uh, decrease the, the wealth gap. So it, like we mentioned, the fractionalization of certain assets will in practice mean that somebody, let's say in a, in a second or third world country that does not have the means to, let's say, invest with 1000 or 10,000 or 100,000 US dollars can now suddenly with one, or two or five euros or dollars a month, having access to a fragment of a token and start investing in real estate and slowly but steady uh, create wealth. And I think that is something that uh, we are not putting a lot of effort uh, on yet, also not in the media, but this is something that I hope will get much more attention um, because this will in the end also create stability, which we uh, nowadays need more than ever, I think, in the world.
0: We sure do. So more fractionalization, more access to illiquid assets, and potentially, well, pilots, but also, democratization of finance. As you said, we desperately need that. We've seen the last, goodness knows how many years it is between the uh, the last two once in a lifetime financial crises I've experienced in my lifetime. So we desperately need a little bit more of that. Well, thank you so much, Bass. I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you today about uh, governance in the blockchain market, about the future of tokenization and, and everything else that we've discussed. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for inviting me, Ryan, and uh, it was a pleasure. So my name is Ryan King. This was the Internet of Assets, the podcast about the not-so-distant future of finance. Thanks for listening.